and welcome to episode 10 of the Far Post podcast. Glad to have you back, glad to be back. My name's Marissa Lordanic and I am once again joined by my three best gal pals. It's Sam Lewis, Anna Harrington and Angela Christian Wilkes. There's no fun intro today because I'm still embarrassed about my efforts last week. So let's crack into <laughs> the actual good stuff that you people want to listen to. We'll start with your love to see it. Angela? What did you love to see this week? I love to see, well, A, West Ham finally win a game in the FAWSL, but even better, their win, their um, their second goal and the lead came from our very own Emily Van Egmond, which was fantastic. It was another um, Emily Van Egnoggen goal, uh, an aerial hit, <laughs> uh, which is quite exciting because I think it was noted last time that that's not very um, – it's not a typical goal from her, so it's great to see that. And to be honest, she is like the tallest player on that team, so it sort of makes sense that she's the uh, yeah the tall target for those crosses in. But yeah, fantastic to see, and sort of I feel vindicated for staying up so late on like Monday mornings, I guess, um, and having no energy the next day. Yeah, I'm probably going to dither this podcast a little bit because the brain she's flat but I'm really happy the emotions are high the thoughts are not there (laughs) you love to see it (laughs) you do love to see it Anna what did you love to see this week well I love to see Penelope Harder doing what she does best and that's scoring goals and she saved it till late to actually score it's the second goal in the league it's a big gap between goals but late in Chelsea's win over Everton, um, Beth England was probably looking for a hat-trick, but Harders laid the ball off to her, England just put it through, and just like as casual as you like, Harders followed up and just put her foot through it, her left foot through it, and it's just gone beautifully into the top corner, like absolutely unstoppable. And it was just completely underlined the class and quality that she's got. And, uh, yeah, at that time in the morning as well, you love to see it. You do love to see it. And Sam, what did you love to see this weekend? Well, elsewhere on the continent, uh, speaking of goals, one our very own Emily Gilnick scored a hat-trick for her Swedish club, Vitsia. Uh, she has helped them really climb the ladder. I mean, when, when she first joined, they were in the relegation zone and now they're up to fifth with one round left. Uh, and one of them was an absolute banger, proper Emily Gilnick style, the way that we, we all know and love. So it's good to see that she's really enjoyed her time in Sweden after um, not things not working out for her in Germany. So Gilnick hat tricks, including absolute thunder bastards. You love to see it. You do love to see it. And we'll give that one a retweet because it really is just a, a thing of beauty. So we had lots of games over the past week. So we had Conti Cup action midweek last week. So we had uh, West Ham beating Reading 3-0. Emily Van Egmond scored another goal with her head, if I'm not mistaken, and Mackenzie Arnold saved a penalty. So you really can't ask for much more in terms of Tillies and West Ham. Uh, Chelsea beat Tottenham 2-0. Bristol uh, beat Crystal Palace 4-2 and Legazo scored a double, which you love to see. And the thing you really love to see the most is her scoring a penalty because Lord knows we need Matilda scoring penalties. 
not going to get into it though. Uh, Arsenal beat London City 4-0, so a good win for them. And I suppose the final fixture that would have included Aussies is Everton v Man United, which did not end up going ahead, not because of the Roni, as we all assumed, but because of damage to the stadium caused by high winds. So we'll see when that one is eventually played, but something to keep an eye on. So that was Conti Cup. We move forward to FAWSL action from the weekend. There were two particularly tasty clashes that we had this week. We'll kick off first with Man United Arsenal. This was kind of a potentially big game and it delivered in spades, but not exactly for Arsenal. Sam, what did you make of the game? Yeah, what a game. Uh, I think this was the game for me which has sold me on the possibility that Manchester United are going to be a serious contender when it comes to talking about um, the the big three, uh, the big three teams, your Arsenal, your Chelsea and your Manchester City. Manchester United were unbelievable against Arsenal and this is an Arsenal side that I think a lot of people, including a lot of us, had pegged probably to take out the league this season. Um, They have probably the best centre forward on the planet in Vivian Miedemar and Man United knows that. And Casey Stoney, their manager, um, I think has not just instilled in her players um, a, a sort of a belief in themselves, but also a real hunger that I think came out against Arsenal. Like this is the first time Man United have ever beaten a big three side um, in their in their sort of their renewed um, history. Like they they sort of returned to existence in 2018. After being after they were folded um, by the Glazers in 2005, and yeah, so uh, Manchester United came away one uh, nil uh, winners after a, a really dogged, really inspired performance. Um, Arsenal just looked shocked, actually. Like uh, Man United, they were incredibly um, energetic. They were really busy. They pressed really high and really hard. They worked together all the time. Um, it was re- it was just so much fun to watch, and it was really fun to watch Arsenal try and find answers to the questions that United were asking them, and they couldn't do it. And one of the the things that I was most impressed with, and I think it's something that we've addressed in previous episodes, is what happens to Arsenal when Vivian Miedemar is marked out of the game. Um, that was something that happened here. The Manchester United's two centre backs, uh, Millie and Amy Turner, no relation between them. Um, they they just blocked her out and she you could tell sort of within probably the first half hour that she was starting to get really pissed off. She started to yell at her teammates. She started to yell at the ref. You saw her little gloved hands thrown up in exasperation when uh, she kept getting tackled or kept getting beaten to the ball. And Arsenal just wasn't really able to figure out another way through. Um, United played like they wanted the win more. And uh, ultimately, they they came away with the three points and with the belief now that they can they can do this. So I think next week's Manchester derby is going to be a real cracker. Going off what you were saying about belief around the team, um, I mean, big names, uh, Press and Heath. They were really busy. I think especially that first first half of the first half and it was really great to see how the team rallied around press like she missed a couple of opportunities perhaps not like surefire goals or anything like that but the their ability to keep their head up and keep going was really um 
great to see. And they obviously had a plan and they stuck to the plan and they got the results. Whereas Arsenal, I don't really, I, I didn't get that feeling. I'm not really sure. I think, yeah, Manchester was so on the front foot that you couldn't even really tell what Arsenal's strategy was, except to respond. It was very reactive. Um, but yeah, no, excellent game to watch. I think if anyone listening is deciding to maybe watch one of the games from this weekend, I'd say this one. I think another thing that's really impressive about Manchester United, and you said, Sam, Casey Stoney, is people forget that they lost their captain like midway through last year when Alex Greenwood joined Leon. She played such a big role in them getting promoted, England International. You think this is a player that you, you, know, you plan to build things around. Having your club captain go is just so huge. And the fact that they, I guess, regrouped from that, started to lay the foundations, got a really solid squad together, a combination of up-and-comers, established players like your Jackie Rennans who have just been around for a while and then have added that cream on top this year in the form of players like <clears throat> Tobin Heath and Christian Press. I think it's the perfect way to build a team because you can – I think we saw this when Man United were, you know, entering the league system again. There was talk about are they just going to buy up? Are they going to spend big? Are they going to go for big names straight away? But what Stoney's done is really build a core who are a core who are reliable, who you can trust, who are proven performers, some of them who punch above their weight, but others are just really good players at the level who I guess it's similar to like an Izzy Christensen at Everton where they're just thriving on getting game time. They're at the right club. They slot in well in the system. They work hard for each other. They believe in each other. And it's all been about it's all been about making steps and the gradual progress rather than expecting grand things straight away and then maybe falling short. I think by trying to build and get better and better, it's a more natural and I guess more sustainable approach. And I think it's really paying dividends. And as for Arsenal, it's probably the shock that they needed, to be honest. Like unbeaten they get a real easy Conti Cup win midweek against London Bees and I think it was always going to be a little bit of a wake-up call especially after the last time they played Chelsea who are a big club that they might just get brought down a peg and yeah you wonder whether it's going to be something that can see them lift and drive which you'd expect given the quality of their players or whether it goes the other way. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, speaking of sort of impressive um, impressive aspects of this club and of Casey Stoney in particular, as you mentioned, Harry, that they're, they've got a really solid base. And the thing that I love about their base is that the vast majority of their squad are English players. And a lot of them are English players who've come up through the Man United Academy. You know, they, they have had a, a girls' academy running for all this time, even though they haven't had a senior women's side. They've been producing players that have gone on to play for other teams. So now that they've sort of like connected that pyramid and that ladder, we're actually starting to see the results of having such a long-term investment in the, in the women's game when it comes to younger age groups. Um, and, and these are the players, these English players who have come through these systems who are shining now. You know, you've got your Turners, you've got your Katie Zellens, you've got, you know, they might not be big names, but they're really talented and they, they work really hard. They give a shit about the club as well. It's not just sort of a bouncing around kind of thing, hoping to make a buck. They actually care. They've been there for a really long time. They all work together. They all understand each other. And that's what I think is really um, is really attractive about the way that they play because they seem to really play for each other and they play for the badge. You know, you don't see that very often. 
Um, and this performance against Arsenal, I think, was it absolutely epitomised that. They all worked so hard together for each other. They were throwing themselves in front of the ball. They like it, it. They just had some sort of fire within them, a point to prove that that seems to just sort of colour their entire club at the moment. And fucking like the men's side could probably learn a thing or two from what Casey Stone has been doing there. I guess it's a super obvious point to make, but Arsenal, you know, they've flattened a lot of teams so far this season, but this is the first um, club in that sort of top four, five space that they've come up against in the WSL specifically. So, and it's been, I think a lot of people have noted, noted this before, they don't tend to show up for the big games and that seems to be an ongoing issue and I really don't know how you address that as a coach because I think it first of all it does come back to you know strategy marking Viv out but surely you've got to expect that um, at some point that the teams with the really strong defenses are going to be able to do that so how are you going to create around that I'm not sure but yeah it'll be interesting to see how they they go further in now they've had this little wake-up call um, if they'll be able to readjust and um, come back against some of the top sides. I think they really miss Kim, like Kim Little as a starter and Jordan Nobbs. I thought that was just an electric midfield pairing early. Like when Daniela Vanderdonk's being left out because those two players are doing so well, I think that showed it. I just want to see Steph Catley play and I want to see Lydia Williams play, like to get on a real Aussie angle. Like uh, We saw Stenson got used um, – during the Conti Cup, and Zinsberg is obviously still being preferred at FAWSL level. But if you're looking for someone who can fire up teammates and get them motivated and show leadership from the back, there's, I guess, no better person than Lydia Williams for that. And I think we just want to see Steph Catley fit and firing. I know they said that it was going to be after that international break at some point, but, Jesus, a long time on the sidelines. It really is, and we hope there hasn't been any setbacks or anything like that. So, Joe, if you're listening, I assume you are. Do the thing, please. Start Steph, just for our sake mainly because, <laughs> you know, this is what we're here for. The other, well, on paper it looked like a very exciting clash was Chelsea Everton. Harrow, thoughts on Chelsea Everton? Start with Everton because I... I don't know, Sam mentioned this uh, when they played Manchester City in the Cup final the other week, that they went away from a lot of the good stuff they were doing. And I felt at times they were really on the attack and really exciting, but at other times they set up really defensively. I would have liked to have seen them go at Chelsea from the outset, and I didn't feel like we saw that. I felt like it was Chelsea who were the ones that really came into the game with a lot of intent, something to prove, maybe similar to Man City the other day where they go, here's the challenger. We want to squash them. Um, fantastic goal from Ji Soyun to open things up. Um, she's been used deeper a lot this season, but because they opted to have the the two screening midfielders bringing Sophie Ingle back in, it let her play a bit further up the park and really use her creativity, um, which is something I really liked. Um, yeah, I thought it was, it was interesting because then I thought Everton sort of fought their way back into it, but once Beth England got up and running, it was. It was all just the Beth England show. Um, <clears throat> I, I love Beth England as a player. We were talking about this in our chat last night. She just got so much charisma. She seems like a really fun person, someone that everyone wanted to have as their teammate. We know it's, it's probably not been so well publicised, but she had her appendix out over the preseason, which really set back 
her start to the year, had a bit of a slow start, but I thought yesterday or last night was just her getting back to her absolute best, like the clinical finish for the first and just a little poacher's effort for the second. It was a sort of form that we saw last season that had people, you know, well, it got her into the frame for it as an England starter and it also had people putting her on the pedestal with Viviana Miedema as the two best strikers in the league, um, which I guess uh, something Angela wanted to touch on was we were looking at who would you rather have, which player has more of an impact um, because they're two very different strikers, but they're clearly the two most effective in the FAWSL. Angela? Yeah, definitely. And I, I think they're effective in, yeah, different ways. Um, there was a phrase used by Jane Ludlow, who is um, on like second comms for the match. She said, I've never heard this before. Is this a common expression? Fox in the box. Yes, it's very yes. common. Yes. Okay, there we go. I clearly don't watch enough football, but I was like, that makes a lot of sense. So she, Beth England is like great at poaching goals and can really find them I think when it counts um whereas you know we often see Viv I think it was noted last week on by some people on Twitter um when she got her hat trick that sometimes she just like she goes off and does her own thing and drops quite deep and uh, this team sort of falls around her or accommodates that but that because she is quite creative and quite good at um linking play at the same time um yeah, I don't know. Beth England, I think, is also quite strong and very fast. Um, underrated skill of hers is she she just comes out of nowhere in a similar way to Valerie Govan, I would say, sometimes in that um, she'll just appear and she'll just get it in. Um, but yeah, Sam did. I, I know you actually brought this up in our little group chat. Um, I was like, what do you all think? So that's what I think. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, I, I like the the conversation around what makes a good striker because I think that there we've had this conversation when it comes to Sam Kerr, um, mm. particularly when she wasn't like on the on the score sheet and wasn't sort of racking up the kinds of metrics that we would associate with a good striker. But she she was doing things in in different ways that allowed her team to flourish. And I think when it comes to comparing. England with Miedema or even England with Govan, and it's probably worth mentioning that Valerie Govan actually didn't play for Everton mm. uh, against Chelsea, nor did um, their captain um, Lucy Graham um, because of injury. And I think that probably really affected Everton's uh, flow going forward because Govan is such a huge, uh, a huge figure. She's a classic striker, and their their sort of attacking system and momentum really revolves around the things she can do. So they had to sort of bring in a, a, another player in order to try and fill that void, but they just couldn't do it and, and things just didn't click for them. Um, but I, I do, the thing that I really loved about England and the thing that I think a lot of people loved about her last season as well when she won the, the, the sort of FAWSL Player of the Year is that she plays with so much joy. She just mm. seems to be so glad to be there, you know, to be part of such a great team, to contribute in the ways that she knows that she can and to always be working really, really hard. Like the thing that sort of is a little bit off-putting to me when it comes to Miedemar sometimes is that when she isn't in the game, she she gets really angry and she seems to almost shut down a little bit. 
Um, like you know, you see her drop back in the in the game against um, in in the game against Man United, for example. You saw her drop really, really deep, even towards like the back of the center circle, coming back to collect the ball because her midfielders weren't doing that job. And she would sort of turn and then have no one because she was, you know, you can't be in two places at once. She was looking mm. for herself basically. Um, but England doesn't seem to give up in the kinds of sort of mental ways maybe that I feel like Viv does sometimes. Um, and it's just really great to see her back, you know, England back on the score sheet. I think that she's going to be, particularly given Ellen White is not in great form at the moment, I think in the next sort of international break, if they're allowed to play games, I really think that Beth England is going to be in consideration to be the starting striker because she's just incredible. She's really versatile. She makes sure that she can offer um, different things to the players around her as well as being the thing that they need. And, yeah, and she's just so much fun to watch, you know. Like I'm I'm sort of okay with Sam Kerr being on the bench sometimes given England is in such great form and she is obviously contributing really well in really important games to this team. So, yeah, so I'm just super keen to see how she progresses after this. Well, the thing as well with Beth England that a lot of people forget is she hasn't always been the gun at Chelsea. Like she went out on loan, um, especially to Liverpool. She started her career at... Donnie Bowles went from there to, I think, Sheffield Wednesday on loan, got signed by Chelsea, took time to hit her straps and actually spent the season on loan at Liverpool and started banging in the goals and then kicked on from there. It's very similar to like a Harry Kane. It's a classic sort of striker's apprenticeship that you see in the men's game. But for Beth England, it's happened in the women's game. So she is just so appreciative of her role at this big club and has put in so much work. She's a really smart girl off the field as well. She's doing a law degree while she... uh, while she plays, calls out people on Twitter. Comrade Beth, we like to call her. And, um, <laughs> just a, seems like a fantastic person to have around your club. Just appreciates every moment, gets it, and just wants to get better and better. Um, while we're on Chelsea, and I mentioned in the you love to see it, Penelope Harder's goal, one thing that really stood out to me as well with the structure they were going with, because they played harder, more out, out wide with G slotting into that 10 roll, was just how hard she works. Like, She's a forward, but she goes box to box. And there's a couple of times where Everton could easily have scored or made a scoring opportunity and it didn't necessarily get picked up on the comms, but it was harder that it busted a gut to get all the way back and put on a really good tackle or challenge or one-on-one to make sure that the threat, I guess, was averted before it even became a threat. And it's just these little things that set those world-class players apart. And Sam Kerr does that stuff as well. We saw when she came on, she actually made a really good sort of a lung-busting chase. And, yeah, this Chelsea team, they're a bit shaky at the back at times, but, geez, they're, they, again, like we said with Manchester United, you can tell they play for each other. They love playing together. And, uh, yeah, I to go back to the Beth England thing, I think I would agree with Sam in that if Miedemar is probably the more talented, but if I wanted a player to pop up at the right moment or if I was trailing to come up with something to dig deep and really find something, I reckon... Beth England's a teammate I'd want to have there. So that was Chelsea Everton plus a little bit of striker discussion. We had some other games during the weekend. We had West Ham Birmingham, West Ham winning 2-1. Angela, you did mention an indie you love to see it, but you did have some further thoughts. So please feel free to elaborate and expand. Uh, I think it goes back to, um, and I'd like to take partial credit for this, 
whinging about things, get stuff done. And I don't know if Matt Beard <laughs> listens to this podcast, but Emily Van Egmond has been playing further up the field um, in a role that I think is a little bit more comfortable for her and in a role where she's obviously been a bit more effective as the um, WSL win against Bir- Birmingham. Birmingham. It's too many hams. Um, and the Conti Cup win can attest to. Um, but yeah, and I think it's interesting. I don't think she's playing in the same sort of way we saw at City. Um, a lot of the times when West Ham were attacking, she was like right up there with the forwards as well. But maybe that's because Beard has seen that she can score with her head and is like, get in there, get on the end of those crosses, make the most of it. Maybe that's her new thing. Who knows? But yeah, really loving that. Um, and yeah, also (laughs) speaking of headers, it seems like it's also now Macca's thing to like, so she was playing a lot further up as well and sometimes just hanging sort of as like a, I don't know if there's like a technical term for this, but when the goalkeeper is playing as that sort of third centre-back as they're playing out. Like sweeper-keeper? Sweeper-keeper, yeah. But sometimes I think there were about three occasions this match where she like headed the ball out again I that was why you love to see it a couple of episodes ago but it gets more stressful every time <laughs> one of these times it's not gonna work out for her but so far it's been fine I think the the goal that um West Ham conceded wasn't the best keeping from Maka, unfortunately but I think um she's definitely getting more confident as those yeah um hitters can attest to but yeah, uh, yes, I'm feeling great about West Ham getting a win. I'm like not even covering up my bias here. I love that whinging about things get stuff done has low key become like just the mantra and tagline of this podcast because it's happened a few times now where we've whinged about something and it's happened. So yay us. It's manifestation, really you know. It's just like it really what you want. <laughs> we are manifesting and we are the universe is providing which you can love we whinge about uh, can we whinge about equal pay next please uh yes we can <laughs> we, can, we, we, can we whinge about ending the pandemic after that yes oh my god can you imagine it's like two hour pod <laughs> quite a substantial whinge will be needed for that one because um i think it's quite Has a big issue <laughs> the coronavirus considered not doing that <laughs> as a concept I don't know something 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 to think about Miss Rona if you're listening <laughs> oh god and there were a final couple of games from the FAWSL so we saw Man City defeated Bristol 8-1 Uh, Bristol actually requested that the game be postponed after one of their players developed COVID symptoms after their midweek Conti Cup game. So following protocols and stuff, she had to isolate and because she lives with a few of her teammates, they also had to go into isolation, one of them being our very own Ella Mastrantonio. So that was like five players no longer available for this game. Bristol requested the postponement. Obviously, FA's rejected it. The game's gone ahead and Bristol's had to bring in a whole bunch of academy players to field a side. So the scoreline very much reflects the larger situation. Obviously, we hope that all of the players are well and healthy 
And yeah, we'll go into some more detail about the the larger situation in the boot. And in terms of final Aussies in the FAWSL, we had Alana Kennedy's Tottenham draw 1-1 with Reading, but that was not the story. The story was Alex Morgan finally got on the pitch. Hallelujah. It's what everyone was waiting for. Unfortunately, she didn't score any goals or anything like that, but she finally got on the pitch, which is what everyone was waiting for. And there was a very cute photo then of her and baby Charlie after the game. Charlie's in her little Tottenham kit. Sorry to bring that up, Harrow. But it was very cute, very wholesome, and hopefully it's the beginning of her kicking on and getting back to peak fitness. Was there an Alex Cam that just followed her around the entire pitch? Well, the thing that I noticed is that when I watched the highlights of the game, like she had her own highlight when she came on. Like I, that hadn't happened for any of the other substitutes in any of the other games. It was just there was a, she got a little couple of seconds of when she came on. That was in the two-and-a-half-minute highlights package. It was like a good 10 or 20 seconds just of her running onto the field. All right. W League chat. Woohoo! Let us W League. We're getting ever closer to the start of the season. It cannot come quickly enough, in my humble opinion. We've had heaps more signings this week and a retirement as well. So Jenna Kingsley has called time on her W League career. She played for Newcastle. was a real stalwart there. So we wish her all the best in retirement. Uh, Brisbane Raw has gone on a bit of a, a signing rampage. We've got Tamika Yollop donning the orange once again. We've got Caitlin Torpy and Georgina Worth also signing for Brisbane. And then we had a couple of Perth players come over. Sam, you wanted to talk about the seeming Perth exodus, especially to Brisbane. Yeah, we, we're seeing a couple of uh, a couple of Perth players making the move across the country to Brisbane. I think a lot of that probably had to do with the uncertainty around borders. And we addressed this last, last episode about whether or not Perth would actually be able to field a team this year, uh, given the the state of the Rona and and all that sort of stuff. So we saw um, two young players, Morgan Aquino, the goalkeeper, and Letitia McKenna, who had a fantastic season a couple of seasons ago alongside Sam Kerr, uh, both young Matildas. They've moved across to Brisbane Raw. Um, and we also saw Kim Carroll last week, you know, um, move across there as well. So... Yeah, Brisbane seemed to be building a, a pretty interesting team. It seems quite balanced in terms of youth and experience. I'm imagining that we'll probably see um, perhaps a Katrina Gorey uh, return back to Brisbane, probably a Claire Polkinghorne as well after their season's finish in Europe. Um, so they, they may actually be a force to reckon with. You know, I think all they're missing really at the moment is a, is a really good quality striker. Um, but hopefully they're able to bring in um, a, a local, probably a Brisbane Raw Academy player or a local MPL player from um, from Brisbane to fill that role uh, in the absence of, of some international strikers. But, yeah, Brisbane are looking good. And um, I think now sort of the, the, the second half of that story is that Perth are probably going to be fielding a team this season where WA have uh, started to relax their borders um, to different states. So I, I think to with Queensland, uh, the ACT and South Australia. 
So the draw may reflect um, Perth's ability to, to only visit those states in the first half of the season perhaps and then they'll eventually go on to play, you know, your um, New South Wales and your Victorian teams after that. So, which is good news for Perth players. Like, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. Um, that means that we're going to have the same number of teams as we had last season. It means that all these young players in particular coming through Perth are going to have an opportunity to step up and, and play a full season. So, yeah, all's well that ends well. And I guess just to follow up on that, Sam, we know that also later this month the New South Wales-Victoria Border's going to be opening up and you'd think by December you're going to get some movement in terms of this ongoing stash between New Lot in New South Wales and uh, Queensland. So it just really opens up the options in terms of the W League and A League um, for all those players and clubs, um, especially down here in Victoria where a lot of our players just haven't got to play at all. So yeah. it gives them something really to look forward to. Uh, I guess to follow on from that, a couple of signings from Melbourne Victory, um, Kayla Morrison um, is one that is a name that's been known around the traps here in Victoria. Was an American was really good for Bulleen in a couple of seasons here. Best centre back in the NPLW here by fair way. I think people would agree. One of the best players. Obviously, wouldn't have got a look in the last couple of years at Victory given the quality of some of their visa signings. So in a similar boat to a Catherine Zimmerman, where just a really high quality player in the NPLW now gets a chance um, despite their passport of choice. Um, and the other one that I really like to see was Mindy Barbieri, who missed last season, has been on the sideline for a long time after rupturing her ACL. But before that was a real favourite of Jeff Hopkins, who's really developed her a lot from a really, really young player who sort of came on the scenes as pinch-hitting winger to moving into the midfield. And I know they really rated her, uh, really good kid, and obviously copped a nasty injury. And you always, you always love to see players make their way back from injury. So, again, Melbourne Victory, I think, recruiting really astutely this season, retaining a lot of players and being really smart about who else they're picking up. Anna, you might know, I thought um, Mindy signed a two-year deal and then she got her, so the first year was last year and Mm, then she did her ACL and then this was going to be the second year. So that, I noticed that was like, I was, sort of interested in that but I'm not I, sure if last year was the two years because they signed like three part like her and beard and nine 20 September 2017 she signed uh, a two year contract okay just uh domino reporting in that sense I think everyone kept reporting that it was the two-year deal for this year anyway good to know I could be wrong but I think it was a two-year deal to the end of last season yeah that makes that and makes she, sense and she ended up having the whole season wiped mm. You don't want to say that. Libby Copas-Brown um, leaves Newcastle for Western Sydney. Sam, you actually got a fair look at her this season in the New South Wales NPLW. Can we expect her to kick on? Yeah, I think we can. Uh, she was voted uh, player of the match in the New South Wales NPL grand final. Um, she played for Manly. And, yeah, she's she's been excellent for them. She's really controlled the midfield for them. Um, she had a lot of really great chemistry with a whole bunch of Manly players who came with her from Newcastle. Um, but she actually has a pretty interesting backstory. She was in college for a little bit, and I think we're starting to see now quite a couple, quite a few, you know, younger players who tried to, um, you know, take an opportunity to play college soccer coming back to Australia and feeling perhaps a little bit more comfortable here. But yeah, like I, I was really impressed with Copas Brown when she was in Newcastle last season. I thought she was feisty. Thought she was energetic. Um, I think she's pretty creative. 
And yeah, she's quite talented for quite a young player. So it's it's exactly the kind of thing that I think the Wanderers are needing at the moment, especially in the absence of the internationals that they're going to be having. And I'm I'm really keen to see how she links up, perhaps with Kara Cooney Cross, depending on where she goes or if she stays there. Um, that could be a really interesting combination in midfield. And yeah, I'm just I'm keen to see how it goes. And just to wrap up the signings, Canberra are just ever busy. It seems like we record a pod and they announce about four more signings, but. Um, we've seen that Demi Kulazakis and Sally James have signed there. Jesse Rasher, one of Sam's favourite stories in the W League, returns. But uh, former co-captain um, Nicola Orgill has actually put out an Instagram post saying that her time in Canberra is up. She's currently playing over in Norway. So it will be interesting to see where she lands. And she said, new challenge, which suggests that it's not going to be... Wanderers or Newey are those the two clubs she was linked with? Yeah, my bet's on City, but we'll see. It's a tinfoil hat for Angela this week. <laughs> Sam gets a break. The people want tinfoil hats. Uh, shout out to one of our Twitter followers. I don't actually know your name, so I only know your Twitter handle, which is like rarely right. So shout out to you for always mentioning the tinfoil. I hope you have enjoyed this little tinfoil hat moment in the pod. Um, so now it's time for the boot. We alluded to it a bit earlier. Angela, what's going on? What's the boot this week? Yeah, an interesting thing about Bristol having to like stitched together their team at the last minute as they were drawing on their um, academy stock there, um, which is the same. So the academy programs are the same programs that are being shut down during the second lockdown while the boys and men's equivalents can continue to play and have had exemption, I believe, from the government. I haven't read too closely into it, but um, I did see some people note this and the fact that this is a situation that Bristol can do now, but what happens, you know, in a couple of weeks when a lot of these players haven't been training and aren't in peak condition and you're bringing them in, we don't really know if that's going to have to happen again. But, yeah, it was something that I definitely definitely gave me food for thought. Um, and I suppose more broadly as well, I think quite a few people have been upset about the fact, I guess, the double standard there and all the – inequity and inequality, I know I'm probably using one of those words incorrectly, um, that that points to in the structure of women's football. Um, But, yeah, uh, we can definitely link to some more extensive takes on that on the Twitter. I know Maggie Murphy had some really interesting stuff to say about that in her, like, little weekly blog. Um, Basically about not necessarily getting mad at that as an issue, in and of itself, but the the broader things that it signifies. Yeah. And that is the boot. But let's finish off as we do with some how goods. Samantha, hit us with a how good. My how good this week goes to Teresa Polias. Teresa Polias is my favourite W League player. She's been my favourite W League player for a while Um, not just because of her work ethic and the role that she plays in that team, but she is such a good human being. She Mm. has worked as a primary school teacher throughout her entire W League career um, and she always makes time for fans. She always makes time for journalists. When I was just starting to come through when I was writing for the women's game and Beyond 90, 
She always gave me the time of day. She was so patient. She was always really chatty. Um, and she used to play for my local MPL club, MacArthur Rams, and she was an absolute legend there as well. So this uh, this week saw Teresa Polias's, uh 10-year anniversary since her debut with Sydney FC. And, uh, I yeah, I was lucky enough to, to interview her for SBS um, and and have a chat about you know all the all the great things that she's done over the years and all of her favorite memories and and she, you know the thing that she said stood out the most which i think is such a a cool reflection of her character is that she just loved being surrounded by the people that she was surrounded by she loved playing with her teammates she loved being able to play a part in some of their successes and She's really relishing the opportunity now to pass on that knowledge and that experience to the next generation of Sydney players who she's mentoring. So she's just she's just amazing, and I'm I'm so I'm so proud to like I'm not going to lie I'm a Sydney FC fan and a Sydney FC member. I've been a member for about six years, and when uh, Sydney FC won the the W League Championship, I cried because I knew how much it meant to to Polias. I knew how much it meant to the people who'd been there for such a long time. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm really stoked for her um, and I hope she continues to kick on whether she continues to play or just plays another role at the club behind the scenes. I hope she hangs around because she's a really good person. I'd love to bounce off that as well, Sam. I got was just as lucky to chat to Teresa. I think my interview was right after yours. Yeah, I think it was. Just as much time and Sam and I were comparing our <laughs> interviews and how similar they were and I think the same themes just came through over and over again. Um, in terms of she loved playing for her hometown club in front of her family and friends, loved her teammates, I guess didn't begrudge that maybe she's being in an age group where she's missed out on some opportunities that others have been able to have. Um, She's passed down her knowledge. um, Just as you said, Sam, one of the best people in the W League. I actually um, interviewed her after that um, championship win when I was working at Fox Sports because um, we'd seen the year before she was in tears understandably after they lost to Melbourne City in the grand final mm. so the next year um, the trophy's getting handed around and I was in went to interview her um, and she's got the trophy and she's went to hand it off and we've gone no no let's keep the trophy in so did this interview and you've got all these family and friends in the background and Teresa is teens holding this trophy that's nearly as big as her um, and <laughs> You just tell what it meant to her and I think these are the sort of people that make women's football so special. Every time you do an interview, you thank you for covering the game and doing your bit and just I think relishes every single moment. A little shout out here to Sydney FC as well who made a point of getting in contact with myself and, uh, and Sam and saying Teresa's got this milestone coming up. We're celebrating it as a club um, so she'll be available for interview and she's always a great chat. And the thing that really stands out is how much she cares about the future of the league. It was an interview about her milestone, but she gave even more about wanting to see the season extended, wanting to see more opportunities for players, wanting to progress the game. And when you've got people like Teresa Polias, um, the game's never really going to fall behind. It can only take steps forward. So, yeah, to bounce off that, Teresa Polias, 10 years at Sydney FC and a whole lot more in her career. How good. your chats with her so definitely check them out there on our twitter feed angela how good we were discussing earlier in this podcast that lydia williams has not yet uh started for arsenal and i think i have an idea why a photo emerged this week arsenal um 
have a great social media team and they've always got photos coming out of the players at training. And there was Lydia Williams just like hunkering down in about three coats. Clearly the weather in England is not agreeing with her. And maybe that's why. Maybe she's just like, Joe, not this week. It's just, you know, I'm just not feeling it, not not up to it. And all this, all the while it's because of that brisk, well, no, brisk isn't right, damp London weather that I'm assuming they're experiencing at the moment over there. Surely there must be. It's The summer's over. It's all rain from here. But, yeah. How good. Very funny. <laughs> Shouldn't she as a Canberra local be able to handle extreme temperatures, Angela? I think Canberra prepares you for very cold temperatures, but perhaps not the just like the the pressing I don't know, it's more Melbourneian, I feel, London weather, like the pressing damp cold. It's just miserable. I don't know. I sympathize with her. <laughs> Oh my goodness me! It is a very funny, uh, very funny photo, which we will give a retweet to Anna. How good? Yeah, we were talking about Alex Morgan earlier. We didn't even touch on it. Uh, Joe Biden uh, winning the U.S. election—that um, was a real you love to see it moment. But in the build-up, we know that so many of the U.S. women's national team are so vocal about obviously being Democrat voters, wanting Trump out. Um, Alex Morgan's mum is uh, clearly a Trump voter because she'd been tweeting things, you know, like to sham, recount, yada, yada, yada. And she tweeted sham in response to something about Biden picking up votes, I assume. And old mate Morgs has just replied to her own mum saying, one more and that warrants an unfollow. (laughs) (laughs) Alex Morgan giving her mum just a little clip on Twitter. How good. And just to bounce off that, I mentioned uh, Joe Biden before. He actually committed, and in true Woso fashion, this has popped up again. Joe Biden tweeted in May when the US women's national team pay dispute was happening. He said, to at USWNT, don't give up this fight. It is not, this is not over yet. To at US soccer, equal pay now or else when I'm president, you can go elsewhere for World Cup funding. And as expected when it was projected he won, that tweet just went absolutely bonkers in terms of <laughs> replies, retweets, quote tweets, which is just proof. Woso Twitter, it never rests. It never forgets. <laughs> and it may well have just won an election. <laughs> how good. How good indeed. And a final how good. So the day that we are recording, it's the 9th of November. On this day a year ago, it was the biggest standalone crowd for a Matildas match ever at Bankwest Stadium. It was the Matildas coming up against Chile. It was Jenna McCormick's debut where friend of the pod Anne O'Donnell took that amazing photo of her just face up basking into the sun, soaking up the moment. I love that game because I got to go to it and We've spoken a lot about the community of women's football and things of that nature. I only got to go to that game because I now knew people who would also go to the game with me and afterwards I met a whole bunch of people that I had known through Twitter and from writing with Beyond 90. We all met up at the pub and some of these people I had been speaking to on Twitter for like five, six years and I finally got to meet them for the first time thanks to the Matildas. So it was a lovely moment and just another, I suppose, one of those great things where you realise that this is so much more than just a sport. It really is a community and there are people there that 
you know, are going to make your life better and they're just good people. So it was a great game for so many reasons and it's a, a big how good for me personally. Approximately 10 hours later. I just remembered my boot. Um, <laughs> no, no, we spoke about it the other day. All right, so can we add this in? Yes. Well, we talk about Anodong often as a friend of the pod, but this week... She's drawn our ire and, being the star she is, claims she doesn't love the limelight. But if she doesn't love the limelight, why did she jump on Meg Linehan's podcast for The Athletic? Well, because she's a legend is why she popped on. But she had a big, you know, hour, close to an hour-long interview and got asked about 2023, her role in it and, you know, things you want to do, things you want to see. And our Anne made a point of sledging the glorious city of Melbourne. Not only doing that, <laughs> name-dropping myself, and my housemate, Tom, and just to underline the fact that she thought Melbourne was no good. We know it's not true, Anne. You love us. <laughs> with us. You're our friend. You have this idea that Sydney's better than Melbourne. You can be wrong. But don't be dropping us in it on the Athletics podcast. Anne O'Don, a little tiny nudge of a boot for you. <laughs> Speaking of the boot, I think you've been baited there, Anna. Yes. Sucked in. <laughs> I've been sucked in, but you know what? You're still going to get a little boot for it. <laughs> we, can't, we can't let this behaviour go unacknowledged. Won't be having any Melbourne slander on this podcast, ever. Anyway, that is us done for another week. We hope you enjoyed. We hope you'll join us again next week. In the meantime, do all your liking and subscribing and reviewing. Chat to us. We're at the Far Post Pod on all social medias, and we will catch you all next week. So until then, see us.